So grab your Bible. We're going to go to the book of James. Again, this is called Authentic. And there's a lot of chatter about James. Two weeks ago, if you'll remember, uh, because I wasn't up here last week, but two weeks ago, we talked about sort of this conflicting direction, if you will, of Paul and James. And I'll share a little bit more with you uh, tonight, and probably some of this stuff will come up as we go, because how many of you know that, that it sometimes appears that the, the Word of God has contradictions, right? But they're not. And so I think it's important, and this is a big one, this is, there's a lot of people that have a lot of interesting uh, viewpoints about the book of James that I'll share with you uh, tonight as we go. Uh, but let's get in here in verse 1 real quick, and then we'll talk about it. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the kickoff of two outstanding and challenging and enlightening series. And, uh, and Father, just thank you for our church. So many awesome things are happening, so much movement in the spirit that we're beginning to see in the natural. And uh, it rarely looks like we think it's going to look, but that's part of the part of the adventure. So we give you the praise tonight. We thank you for the word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading and guiding us. Speak to our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, in James 1, verse 1, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm reading out of the New King James, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So here we see he opens up this book almost identically to the way Paul started Romans on Sunday, chapter 1, verse 1, he begins the very same way. Paul, a bondservant. Remember that I told you that word in the Greek is doulos. It means a, a person or an individual who has volunteered to live uh, supporting the will of another. It's a volunteer position. It's almost like I told you the military where you would volunteer to give up your freedom, essentially what it amounts to when you're in the military. If you've ever been there, you know you've, you sort of give up your own freedom to support and defend freedom for everybody else. Speaking of freedom, Josiah is right in the middle of something called the crucible that started at 2 a.m. on uh, yesterday morning, and it'll last until, I think, 8 a.m. tomorrow. It's 54 hours, 45 miles they'll walk with 45 pounds on their back, several obstacles, several problem-solving things, four meals, and six to eight hours sleep over that period of time. Uh, A lot of time spent wet and cold, and walking. Uh, did anybody, uh, any Marines in here? I know I see Chad back there. Did you do the crucible? Was it around when you were there? Me either. I'm kind of glad. <laughs> That's what you call the old core, you know. It was hard enough in those days for us. Uh, anyway, so praying for my son tonight. Uh, but he's a bond servant in a sense, you know. After that, he gets 10 days leave and then he goes where they tell him to go. And he does that so we can sit here and have church in English tonight. Amen? With a Bible. Because otherwise, if it weren't for people like him and those others in this room that have served, we'd be doing this in German tonight. No offense to any Germans in here, but... Amen? I don't believe in being politically correct anyway, so... So here's what I find interesting. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. And he doesn't mention that. I find it uh, very amazing that his highest honor here is being a bondservant. That's what he mentions. He doesn't drop a name. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I'd like for you to read my book because Jesus wrote the foreword. You know, that'd be like saying, it's going to be on Oprah's Book of the Month Club. 
You know, you got 17 heavy hitters that write the forward to your book, then you're guaranteed somebody's going to buy it. Uh, but he didn't do any of that. It's just like, I'm just James, man, a bondservant. I'm just, I'm just glad to be in the room. I'm just glad to be here, you know. Uh, back in the day, you know, we, I remember we went to a camp meeting uh, one time, and if you're, if you're a Baptist, that means revival, but in the Pentecostal circles, it's camp meeting. And, uh, man, we were standing in line for hours, and it was literally like standing in line for a Who concert. It was nothing but flesh, and people were cutting in line, and people getting angry, and and this was a, you know, a church that seats 7,000. And, and uh, so I told Eve, let's not run to the front. We just go in and go to the back row. And we put our Bibles down. We're the only ones there. And then she took a kid and I took a kid to check them in. We had two at the time. And then we met back at our seat a half hour later. And a half hour later, the, seat, the, the row was, looks like the second row, right? Or the first or, or the third or fourth. But it is, you know, full. And, and they were pews, so how many of you know you can get always one more in a pew, right? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing of a pew. Um, it was full, and I had to look, and our Bibles were in the middle, one on top of the other. And I was just, I was done. I was, I was so mad. I didn't get anything out of it. I just, I said, well, y'all might as well scoot down because we were here first, and we're going to have a seat. So everybody just kind of scooted out, and, uh, and so that night a pew could do two more. Uh, <laughs> And I just learned something by seeing that. In fact, we were there for two years. That was the beginning of our first year. We didn't go back. They did this twice a year, this kind of a thing. And we didn't go back for two years because I just I was like, you know what? This is not what it's about for me. And so then I just got into the, to the, not, you know, to the mind frame or the, the mindset that I just want to be in the room. If Jesus is there, I don't care if I'm on the front row or not. If I'm just in the room, I'm good, you know, if it's something that I wanted to be part of. Uh, and if not, I'm with Jesus anyway. But the bottom line is it was just people get carried away with that stuff, you know. And, and, and even in you know, some circles today, everybody's name dropping and this person or that or whatever. And I think that if we just stay focused on the fact that it's Jesus that this is all about and not us, that, uh, that we tend to be a lot more peaceful in our lives. So um, we go on now, and he says that he's writing this to the 12 tribes. So understand, Paul's mission is to the Gentiles. James's mission, however, like some of the other apostles, in fact, all of them, are to the Jewish believers. So sometimes when it seems it's a bit, a bit off, you've got to remember the audience that they're speaking to. And so, you know, I'll show you those things as we come across them just to bring your just to bring your, your, your attention to them. But I want you to know that your opinion of this book and the writer matters. Um, a lot of people, like I said, have these ideas that James just missed it, that James, I've heard national teachers and preachers say this on television, that James just didn't have a full revelation of grace and that he was just kind of out to lunch and that, that his book is irrelevant, essentially, is what you have to extrapolate from that. So, uh, you know, that, that bothers me a bit because if that's the case, then basically we have to question all the Scripture. And I think that's very troubling. I mean, we are a word church. We believe the Bible. In fact, uh, it's in my notes somewhere. In 2 Timothy 3, 16... Um, the, the, the scripture says all scripture is inspired by God, all of it. If we believe that, then that means what James wrote was inspired of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
So that means we have to fall back from goofy theology and begin to walk through what he said and get our heart and mind wrapped around this, and we're going to see a smooth dovetail of this thing. It will come together, and it will be supportive of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, as much as anything Paul ever wrote. And, you know, we saw last week or two weeks ago where, where James does say a man is not justified by grace alone. He said that. And, and we worked through some of it then, and we'll hit that again as we go through it this time. But again, there's reasons why he said it the way he said it, but what he was saying was really supporting what Paul taught. And we know from reading Galatians, if you've read Galatians before, you know that, that uh, there's no way Paul was going to abide somebody that didn't believe in salvation by grace alone. And if we go back, and probably next week we'll have time to do this, we could look at times where James and Paul's paths crossed, and Paul obviously respected James, and James obviously respected Paul. And if he didn't, he wouldn't have played nice. Remember when he got up in Peter's face? So Paul wasn't accustomed to playing nice with people that were trying to put people in bondage. In fact, in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, this is how he said it to them. He said, "'O foolish Galatians!' Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? uh, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit and now you are being made perfect by the flesh? Question mark. And he goes on with that vein through that chapter. So I think it's interesting to note that, um, that they did cross paths. And Paul, in fact, if you remember when we studied Acts on Sunday morning, there was a time when there was, you know, the Jews were struggling because they, were, you know, they, were, they weren't ready to break uh, ceremonial law. They weren't ready to eat things offered to idols and things like that. Remember Paul said things like this. He said, uh, if my freedom causes somebody to stumble, then I will abstain from my freedom. You know why you can do that? Because you're free. If you're not free, we got a home for you. Are you listening to me? But if you're free, you can have a beer or not have a beer. It's up to you. And all things are lawful, Paul said to me. But not all things are expedient or beneficial. Guess who under grace has to make that decision for themselves? We do. So there's actually more responsibility. People say, well, if you preach grace, there's no accountability. Oh, there's more than if I just told you everything you could do and couldn't do. Because then all you had to do is follow a list and, and follow the method and make sure that if you did this and you did that, and again, you know, do the spiritual hokey pokey, that God would jump through your flaming hoop on cue. Right? Because that's what we were told. The seven steps to this and the three steps to that. And if you'll do this, God will do that. And it's the if-then gospel, which isn't gospel at all. It puts it all on you. Right? So Paul, you know, had brought this situation to the elders in Jerusalem, if you'll remember, at the la- in the latter part of the book of Acts. And everybody got to talk that day. It's an, it's an amazing story. Maybe we'll hit it uh, next week or so. But all, you know, the, uh, Paul got up and talked and Barnabas and all the 12 and all of that. And then James stood up 
And he gave his judgment because he was the pastor of the church. And all of them, remember, he wasn't one of the 12. He was the Lord's brother, but while Jesus was alive, he didn't believe. Remember that? He and Paul were really the same kind of guy. Paul was against uh, people who followed Jesus, and James was against Jesus. Remember, they came and tried to yank him out of a meeting one night. Even brought his mama. Hey, your mom and your brothers want to see you. They, They think you've lost your mind. Anybody got family that thinks you've lost your mind? You're around church a lot lately. I, I'm starting to worry about you. They weren't worried when you were getting high and getting drunk and running the streets, but they're worried now. <laughs> right? And so, so, James, so, so here we have James and Paul, these two guys, really, that came to Jesus the same way in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I forget what verse, 7, 5, 7, something like that. Paul says that Jesus appeared to James and then to the other 12 and then to him as the least of those. But he got saved because Jesus knocked him off his pony one day, remember that? And he knocked you off yours. It may not have been the same scenario, but the result was the same. And it's what happened to James as well. In some way, in that encounter with Jesus, then James turned his life around and became the respected pastor of the church at Jerusalem. In fact, the the church that nobody wanted to leave. You remember that? Jesus said, go into all the world, and nobody ever left. And so persecution came in chapter 8, and guess what they all did? They went and did what Jesus said to do. You know, sometimes the, the mama eagle tears up the nest, so we'll jump. Like we've said before, we raise our kids not to live in the basement, but to go. You know, ours happen to be back now, but hey. They come back, they go again. You know, it happens. I told Eve, every time I see Ezra's face, I'm glad they're there. I don't care about the mess, the clutter, the noise, people in and out all hours of the day and night. I don't even care. If I see him, I'm good. I, I'm glad they're there. But there are seasons in life, but the whole point is that, that God, you know, he's got us on a journey. And the more we can assimilate the truth about his heart for us, the more joy, peace, and, and, and effectiveness we're going to have in life uh, with those around us and those that, you know, that, that we come across. So let me share with you. Anybody heard of the Schofield Study Bible? Okay, this is just one example. And this guy lived a long, long time ago. Um, but this is what he said about James. He said, His epistle shows no trace of the larger revelations of the church and the distinctive doctrines of grace made through the Apostle Paul. Now let me read that again. Because basically what he's doing is saying, don't pay any attention to James. It's apparently not anointed. Quote, his epistle shows no trace of the larger revelations of the church and the distinctive doctrines of grace made through the Apostle Paul. Now, I know that some things are in the Bible and they're there because they happened, but not necessarily there because God was speaking that. Remember the time Job said, the Lord, li- the, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember that? And then if you keep reading, back in the 40-something chapter, God finally caught up with Job and jammed him pretty hard and said, Hey, wait a minute. You will condemn me? And let yourself off the hook? 
Because think about the scenario. God didn't give and take away. God gave, and then he gave seven times more. God gives and gives and gives some more. He's not the one taking. There's a devil loose. And the only way the devil has power against us is if we will stop believing the truth. Like I said earlier, the issues we're having in life is not because we're doing something right or doing something wrong. Uh, It's because we're believing something right or believing something wrong. Now, the fruit of those beliefs will be doing something or not doing something. All right? But see, we focus so many times on the wrong thing. And then we get a little bit confused. Because we can read something then that doesn't make sense. Or, you know, and I'm telling you, when you start preaching this way, it takes away a lot of really good sermons. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I can tee something up and tell you, I'm telling you, you know, the widow that knocked on the judge's door all night long, she wouldn't quit. I'm telling you, you don't quit. You just get in there and you just fight and you contend and you stand and you declare and you proclaim and blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you go out of here thinking is that everything in your life is up to your own effort. And that's not it. That is a recipe for frustration and eventual uh, bankruptcy, not financial, but emotional. You know, this isn't in my notes, but since I went there, blame God, okay? He gets blamed for everything else, right? Uh, I'm going to go to Luke 18 real quick. I just want to hit this. I don't think this. I, I'd put this at the bottom just as kind of one of those if I get to it thing. Let me, um, let me start in verse 1, just down to verse 8. Uh, Luke 18. Remember when we used to do this in this church? Anybody been around that long? Before we had it up on the overhead? We used to just open this up and find it. I couldn't, I couldn't cover as much ground in those days because I had to wait for everybody. Watch this in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Okay? So this is the subject of the parable. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. This is Jesus speaking. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because the widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual uh, coming she weary me. (laughs) Boy, I could get in trouble right there, couldn't I? (laughs) Then the judge said, Hear what the unjust, uh, then, then Jesus said, Hear what the unjust judge said, quote, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day? Uh, oh, oh, I'm saying, okay, he, he refers back to what the judge just said, that he's going to help her because she's bugging him, basically. And so he says, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he, hears, uh, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Somebody say speedily. speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he, uh, will he really find faith on the earth? It's not because I'm almost 50, okay? It's the light. It just is really bright. (laughs) Now listen. We have been taught that message, and I have taught that, and it preaches great when you put us in the place of the widow. 
who's just pestering God because if we don't, he might forget. But that is not the, that's not the point of this thing. The point is how much better off we are because our God is not like the judge who's ignoring us. And the moment we have a need, in fact, if you'll be honest, there's times when you didn't get around to praying and God moved already. Is that right? And so I'm not saying that we don't go to him and come boldly to the throne of grace. But when we get there, the door ain't locked and he's not, he's not aloof from us. So when we go with our head up and our, and our back straight and our shoulders back, man, we tell him what's going on and he's, he's with us from, the, from, from that. In fact, before we even get there, he's already on, on board. So the whole point of that parable is to show us the goodness of God's heart and the way we don't have to do what the widow did. That was the whole point. But we have saddled that thing up and rode that a, a long, hard way in the church to make us think that this is all based on our own effort. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, there is a part we, we play for us, and that part is believing. And when you believe, man, things happen because you believe. That's, that's the... That's the the access point for us to receive everything because remember God's already made everything available to us that has to do with with life and godliness you know everything he it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom so whenever we get in this mindset that man I need to do this so that God will do that you got to arrest that thought right there and think a new thought again this is about repentance I read something the other day in in a, a church's training syllabus that said that we should live a, a life of repentance i believe that if you're talking about true repentance which means which means change the way you think i don't however think that it's that it's valid uh the way i think they intend it which is always walking around guilty always walking around conscious of all your shortcoming and sin because when you're sin conscious you live sin because what you think about, and like I said this on Sunday, what you think about is what you end up doing. It's what you become. As a man thinks in the heart, so is he. I think it's a, just a miracle of God that every man in the room wasn't a woman by the time he was 19. Uh, based on that spiritual truth, right? Right? Most boys think about girls a lot, right? It was a joke. Lighten up. Don't be so religious. This is not a place to be religious. So lighten up. I read something this week that I will never tell you in church. But it's a pastor out of another state, and, and it's a female, and, and she is radically different than anything you've ever experienced, or me. And just reading the things she has written, we were busting up. And it's amazing because she's got such a handle on grace, such a handle, way more than I do in my own life. You know, and that's what's beautiful about this adventure is that we're always learning to be God's favorite. We're just always recognizing more how much he loves us and how we're not in this tug of war of buying blessings, you know, purchasing, you know, certain things from him. Okay, if I give you a certain amount of money, then I want a bigger house. You know, I want a younger wife. You know, I want a handsomer husband. Come on, God, don't leave me hanging, right? And that's not what that's about, you know? And so anyway, let me not dig a hole deeper, right? All right. And so 
James sort of, sort of focuses in on the duty aspect of the Christian life and not so much the doctrinal aspect. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of hammering down on um, uh, the practicality side of Christianity, okay, if I could say it that way. There's 108 verses in the book, and 54, I think, I think it's 54, are, there's 54 commands, essentially, and seven of those he uses emphatic language. So he's really trying to make a point here, and I think, remember, he's talking to Jewish people that are probably tripping at this whole thing of not having to earn their salvation, not being able to accept the free gift of grace, and so he's being a little bit forceful, but I think as we go, we're going to see that it, it blends into Paul's message. And let me show you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, you are the light of the world. Somebody say, he's talking about me again. In Matthew 5.14, and I think we have all these verses back there. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Do we not have the verses? Do we have the verses, heaven? Oh, okay. Okay, well, you can just put that one up and leave it, and I'll just read around it. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So obviously, like we've read before last two weeks ago, that, that the Father created good works for us to walk in. But he's the one that created them, not us. So what we do is we just flow into this relational revelation that we have about our Father and we end up doing the stuff that he wants us to do. It's a very organic type of thing. Now watch this. This is what I love. Put up verse 16, heaven. Uh, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. So notice that the works are predicated on a relationship as a son or a daughter with the Father. Without that part, it doesn't make sense. Without that part, it wouldn't be the gospel. If he just said, you know, uh, do good works so everybody can see and glorify your Father, that wouldn't make sense because you can't do that without being in relationship with the Father. You see how that is an essential nuance there? That has to be part of it. So everything you and I do that matters, everything you and I do that means anything, is all because we're in relationship with the king. It's all because we are children of the king, and we are joint heirs with Jesus, and because of that relational truth that is already finished, now we get to go out and live lives that are going to cause other people to say, man, that was awesome what you just did. Uh, how is that? And then you get to say, well, you know what? It wasn't something that I necessarily did out of my own strength, but I'm just doing it because God lives in me. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Paul said? He said, the grace of God is not in vain, and I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So he never took time to take credit for something that he felt wasn't even his doing. He was, and and he, he labored more abundantly than any Pharisee he knew. See, I love this because I don't plan to let any Pharisee outwork me. I just don't. You know, my first meeting is at 7 a.m. tomorrow. My last one is at 6.30 tomorrow night. Because I just feel like, man, I, this is something I love. The problem with doing something you love is you don't sometimes know when to stop. And that's where the wife comes in. The woman of God, if you will. 
she's a good yeah, temper on those things. But the bottom line is, is that when you're just doing, if you just look at Paul's life, he just did stuff because he was compelled by love, not by obligation. And that's the key. Isn't that wonderful? So 108 verses, 54 clear commands, and seven times he uses, uh, brings attention to those commands using terms that are imperative in nature. That's something that you'll see as we go. So now let's pick back up here in James chapter 1, verse number 2, and then we'll just go on down through verse 7 and call it a night right on time. So he goes on to say, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you can count? All right, two of you, okay. I came to the right place. Uh, Frank is over here. He taught me how to count, so he, he can teach you. He's a, a math teacher out of Palm Springs High and a CIF champion coach, so we're awful proud of him. But everybody learns how to count, hopefully. And uh, he, so he says, count it all joy, which means to me, in my simple way of thinking, you've got to learn how to do this. So this is, again, a practical side of a very profound spiritual truth. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, not if you fall into various trials, knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And I've had people say, man, you don't want to pray for patience because then God's going to really tune you up. How many of you have heard that in church? You know, I don't know, but if you read this chapter, which you will do if you keep coming to church on Wednesday nights, we'll get to this probably next week. This very chapter says God can't tempt you with evil. Nothing but good comes from God. And if patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is, then you can freely pray without fear of, you know, God coming down at night with a ball bat and smashing you in the face because you prayed for patience. You know, you get mugged at Walmart. It's like, yeah, I'm only here because you prayed for patience. I'll take the wallet. <laughs> yeah, God sent me here to kill you because you prayed for patience. So. Um, so knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, if counting is something you have to do, then knowing the process is how you learn. The word says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And so having the knowledge of the Father's heart enables us then to recognize the process and rest in it. Isn't that wonderful? Um, and I've told you our process here when we got denied a couple of weeks ago by the bank. I, you know, I had to walk through that process because I was discouraged. I was disheartened. I was uh, upset. I was angry. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, well, like I told you, I wrote the banker an email. And I didn't send it. So there. Um, but sometimes you have to put action to that emotion, right? So at any rate, learning up front, because we've all done this. We've all been through trials and we've gotten completely like off the rails. Only to have God deal with it. And then us feel stupid and silly because we didn't just rest. You know, like I told you the other day, uh, on Sunday, uh, what, if you were here early, you wouldn't have heard it, but there was a couple here that have been with us for a long time, and I knew them at our last church. And, um, and she said, you know, it's just crazy how religious we were. And it's almost embarrassing. 
And I said, yeah, but God, you know, God worked it out. He honored our heart. We, you know, it wasn't that we wanted to be that way. We just didn't know any better. And so God was blessing, and he was moving and all that. And I said, the real, the real bummer about it is we just didn't have as much fun as we could have. Because this ought to be fun. We ought to be the lightest stepping people on the planet because Jesus is alive. And we're his favorite. And so when that really becomes the revelation that we have, then that's the predication for everything. And like I've said before, people think, well, you know, grace, okay, fine, fine, fine. Saved by grace, not, you know, through faith, you know, not of works, blah, blah, blah. Let's move on into, you know, eschatology or let's get into the meat of the word. Well, it's, this is like baseball or anything else. The meat of the word is in its simplicity because that never changes. And the deeper you go, the more you find the elements of God's unconditional, unmerited love and favor. Because that's what it's, that's it. That's the DNA of the word. No matter if it's one bit of it or all of it, it's all the same. You can't separate it from grace. So when we've, you know, sort of grabbed a hold of this, like I told you on Sunday when we were talking about that part of Revelation, um, we just we think all this stuff is going to be out there, and I'm not saying that there's not going to be a final fulfillment of things, but I'm telling you, everything we read out of chapter 21 and 22 has already happened. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He resides in us. There's more of him in us than us. Man, I wish he'd go to the gym more often, honestly, but, but we're more him than we are us. But see, the problem is we don't believe that like we could, and therefore we struggle because we always look at ourselves. You know, if, 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 if you have a goal in life, and we're going to talk about goals next week, but if you have a goal in life and you immediately think about how much money you don't have or how you can't do it, then you immediately start off wrong. Because when God puts something on your heart to do, he's not thinking you can handle it. The whole reason he's involved is because it's way bigger than you. I mean, we can all dream dreams that don't require God, and we can even give him credit because I guess, you know, we're alive when we do it, and that's, there's an application there. But the whole point is this, is that if we're going to do something in the kingdom, it's going to be way out ahead of our ability. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about God's unmerited favor. So anyway, um, the knowledge of the process helps us to count it all joy. So we can, you know, like, like David said, oh, oh, God, early will I seek thee. You know, and he talks about my, I long, my flesh longs for you and my soul thirsts for you and those kind of things. And, and we always think in terms of, well, that means you've got to get up at 5 a.m. and read the Bible because that's the only hour that God is awake. <laughs> and if you do it at 9 or in the evening, then you're not as spiritual as the people that get up at 5. That's not what it means. It means early. And for me, it always meant early in the life cycle of a problem. Early will I seek you. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, there's nothing left to do but pray? That means they've tried to fix it every conceivable way, and it didn't work. So now they're like, okay, well, let's pray. And guess what? It always works when we pray. Because now, again, we're not praying to get God to, to jump for us. What we do is we pray so we hear his direction. It's like, okay, what do I do? And in fact, we're going to, if I can stop talking long enough we'll get to something here where he even addresses that amazingly enough um in verse four it says but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and complete lacking nothing and 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So here's the beautiful thing. If you need wisdom on anything, ask of God. And, and look at he's a liberal giver. And if he's a liberal giver in the area of wisdom, then that means he's a liberal giver in everything his word says he gives. So let's, let's, uh, let's move on, and I'm going to come back to that principle. It says, uh, but let that person ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man or woman suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So when we ask, but we don't believe, because again, here we're, here we're back to not following the procedure correctly, but believing properly, then this is what we're supposed to be at. Hi, Eli. <laughs> So the whole purpose here is that when we ask, we do so in faith, which means we believe that it's already available to us. If we're not approaching God that way, then we become frustrated because we're asking for something that we hope will happen, we need to happen, but we don't truly believe it will happen, and now we're not in faith. We're following a religious protocol. And that's why so many Christians are frustrated. That's why we've all been frustrated at different times. Um, and again, you know, sometimes it happens anyway because God's grace is there. But I'm telling you, to, there's never peace in that. The peace comes when we can truly be in faith. The just shall live by faith. So if we believe, let, so let's take that, that idea that God's a liberal giver. Let's say we believe that God heals today because that's what we believe because the Bible teaches that. Um, but so many people don't get that. Well, I believe that if we truly believe that, and we ask in faith, then there's a transfer there spiritually that lets us rest in the truth that God's already made available. But I think we get so, um, for instance, it says he's a liberal giver. So let's just say 80 people line up in front and we pray for all of them. And some of them get healed immediately and some of them don't. Well, the ones that don't get healed immediately, immediately think they didn't get anything. But the Bible doesn't say God gives healing manifestations liberally. It says he gives. So what is he giving? Well, when Jesus healed people, the Bible says he gave healing virtue or healing power. So when people touched his garment or he prayed, many times the Bible said that the power was there to heal them all. Remember that phrase? Okay, so let's just say that the power is here to heal everybody because it is. And we're asking God and he's liberally giving. What we ask, because if he's giving wisdom, then it's his will to give everything that he has available to us. So people are receiving all that they need to be well. Some are manifesting that healing immediately and some are not. But the power is coursing through their body. But because they don't think they got anything, they don't believe they got anything because that guy ran around the church without his crutches, but I didn't. So now I disregard what I did get. And it lies dormant and dies uselessly because my faith is not engaged. And I believe that's how it works a lot. That we sort of think how God's going to do it. And when he doesn't do it our way, then we start jumping off the boat and, and getting irritated. And that's where the rest comes in and letting the trial have its perfect work so we can develop patience. And what does patience allow us to do? Just rest and the finished work. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. 
we know God's on our side. So whatever the timetable is that we don't quite understand, it's okay because he's got us covered. Is that right? So as we get into this book, I think you're going to find some things that really challenge you. Now, again, if you're not getting healed, it's not because God's punishing you. A lot of times what we believe is so important. If we want to live differently, all we have to do is believe differently. The, the doing and the acts of those things, the good works will follow what we truly believe. But if we believe God's word, then we can have that knowledge to rest in what he's done. So real quick before we close, let me show you this quick video that should have been at the beginning. But, you know, sometimes I like to do things backwards. So take a look. Your whole life, your whole life, you've had issues and made mistakes and even tested the wavering seas. And as all the issues were raging and crashing, you were looking and searching, trying to find a place of ease. But with all the judgment surrounding your life, you couldn't find ease. But let me tell you something, even on your greatest day, you couldn't find peace. Because you were in search for the absence of pressure. Let me find pleasure, peace. This is too much pain. The situation is beyond measure. Please, I need peace. But see, peace is more than just a word. It's more than a feeling or a situation. It is a person and his name is Jesus. The King of peace the lord of lords the king of kings when you seek him everything else is not as bad as it seems because even in the midst of trials he is i said even in the midst of trials he is he is the great i am he is God. He is Lord. He is Deliverer, Savior. He is Grace. He is Merciful. He is Loving and He is Kind. He is God. He is Real. He is Authentic. All right. So I'm going to pray and turn you loose, but let me just say this about healing, because this tends to be an area where the devil really makes uh, hay with making people feel condemned if they're not well. This is not condemnation. There is none of that in the body now. Um, and that's what the Word says, and we'll see that when we get to Romans 8. But, you know, when I was coming up and Eve was coming up, we were coming up through the Charismaniac movement. You know, what people would say is, well, there's nothing wrong with the Word, and there's nothing wrong with God, so there must be something wrong with you. Is that right? And so that, and it felt right, right? Because, yeah, there's a lot wrong with me. But let me tell you, in Christ, there's nothing wrong with the Word, there's nothing wrong with God, and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just a matter of you receiving the truth. And just receiving the gift because it's all a gift and it's all been paid for already. That's the beauty of it.